Bible with you tonight. We are in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 23. Luke's Gospel in the 23rd chapter. And we're going to read just a few verses tonight, verses 44 down to verse 46. Luke chapter 23, and beginning our reading in verse 44. Luke writes, and it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. We trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his eternal word. This evening we come to the seventh and final saying of Jesus from the cross. Now of course it is Easter Sunday and I understand that you may not particularly uh, desire to dwell at Calvary but to think of the empty tomb on this particular Sunday. But please bear with me in this. Because in the last words of the Lord Jesus, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Of the seven statements he made from the cross, three, the first, the last, and the central statements, all addressed the Father. You see, for Jesus, his relationship with his Father was paramount. It was first. It was last. It was central. It was everything. His purpose as the perfect man was to please him. His very first recorded words in scripture are, Wist ye not or know ye not that I must be about my father's business? In his first formal sermon, he references his father 17 times. In his last address to his disciples, he speaks of the father 45 times. In his high priestly prayer, he references his father six times. And now at the very last, the first word on his lips is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now we see that whereas Fellowship was broken when his father temporarily forsook him on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That fellowship is now to be restored as his ordeal comes to an end. Throughout his crucifixion, he had suffered at the hands of sinners. But now at the last, he commends his spirit unto his father's hands. The price of redemption was paid. The cup of God's wrath had been drunk down to its dregs. The justice of Almighty God was completely satisfied. Now as we think about this closing and final statement of the Lord this evening, I want to consider three truths with you tonight. And the first is these, uh, found in verse verse 46 of our reading. And that is, he gave his spirit up. It says, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, listen to what it says, he gave up the ghost. 
Now, by those words, we really witness a truly unique event. The Lord Jesus died in one sense, as every man dies, but another way, he died in a, in, a, in a completely different way from all other men, unlike all other men. You see, his life was not ultimately taken from him, but rather he laid it down, and he surrendered himself to death, even the death of the cross. John's Gospel in chapter 10 and verses 17 and 18, the Lord Jesus made a most remarkable statement when he said this, Therefore doth my Father love me, because, listen to what he says, I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, a unique power that was only his. And I have the power to take it again. Again, a unique power that was only his. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now we see that truth played out in these words. In fact, we see it throughout the whole crucifixion account. When the temple guard came looking for him in the Garden of Gethsemane and they were coming to arrest him uh, before uh, leading him on into his trial and ultimately to the cross, he said to them, Whom seek ye? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And as soon as he had said that, they went backward and fell to the ground. You see, he says to them, you can arrest me, but before you put a finger on me, I want you to understand that I am in complete control of this situation. So when he says to them, who seek ye? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. They went backward. Now, they didn't fall backward. They went backward, the Bible says, and they fell to the ground. In other words, he made every one of their knees to uh, to fall and every one of their heads to bow and to acknowledge who he was before he surrendered to their arrest. When he stood before Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, Pilate said, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and the power to release thee? To which the Lord answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. He said, You're not in charge of me. You don't hold any power over me. I'm laying my life down. You're not going to take it. And when man and Satan had done their very worst and thought that they could relish the spectacle of his death, he took matters into his own hands and right there on the cross, he gave up the ghost saying, Father, into thy hands I command my spirit. Now the underlying Greek language of this text is very interesting indeed in all of the gospel accounts it's very interesting because there are three distinct elements to this surrender of his spirit you see in Matthew's gospel Matthew is the gospel that presents Christ as the king of the Jews the Greek language intimates that he dismissed his spirit much like a king might dismiss someone from his presence this was a regal act this was an act of sovereignty the act of a king he dismissed dismissed his spirit. He says, Father, into thy hands I dismiss my spirit unto thee. 
In Mark, where Jesus is presented as the servant of the Lord. And here in Luke, where he is seen as the son of man. The Greek tells us he breathed out his spirit. That is, he purposely and intentionally expelled his last breath from his body. His work on earth was done. And so he says, if other into thy hands I commend my spirit and... He died. It was gone. That was it. He gave up the ghost. And in John, where it's portrayed as the Son of God, it says, He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. You know, that's something that only God can do. You cannot give up the ghost, and I cannot volitionally give up the ghost. You cannot do it of your own free will. He died by an act of his own volition. And someday, when you think about it, your spirit and my spirit is going to depart our body. We're going to leave our body, and our instinct will be to fight to the last, to retain it and to hold on to it. Death for us will be an involuntary matter. There's there's nothing that we will be able to do in that day. We cannot retain our spirit by one minute or release it even one minute earlier. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. But Jesus dismissed his spirit. He breathed his spirit out. He gave his spirit up. He surrendered himself to death so that it could be said that no man took his life from him but that he laid it down. And this he did in total submission to his father so that he cries, and as he cries, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he gave up his spirit. That's the first thing I want you to think about this evening. But then I want you to think about where his spirit went. Where did his spirit go to if he gave it up? If he dismissed it? If he breathed it out? Well, if you go back a verse in our initial reading to verse 43, You'll come to one of the earlier statements that we looked at in this little series where Jesus said to the thief who was repentant on the cross beside him, Today shalt thou be with me, and notice what he says, in paradise. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now just to be clear tonight, I'm going to say something that may sound a little confusing to you, but please bear with me. To understand this, you've got to appreciate that paradise is not heaven. In this context, paradise is not heaven. Now, we think of heaven as paradise, and certainly heaven is a paradise. But in the Gospels, the paradise is not heaven. You see, before Christ came, everyone who died in the Old Testament period, before the Lord Jesus came along, everybody who died in the books of Genesis to Malachi and right up to this moment in time, everybody who died at that point went to a place that the Old Testament defines by the word, the Hebrew word, sheol, or in the New Testament, 
the Greek word Hades. And we, in our old King James Bible, translate that word with the word hell. So in the Messianic Psalm, for example, of Psalm 16, which predicts the, uh, the death and the resurrection of Christ, it says that thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And in speaking of Christ, thou shalt not leave my soul in hell. Now, on the premise of that verse, some people teach that Jesus, when he died, descended into hell and was burned and suffered after the cross for the sins of men. Friend, we have a name for that. It's called heresy. All the suffering the Lord Jesus was ever going to do took place on the cross at Calvary. And the only hell he ever suffered, he suffered there. After the cross, he commended his spirit unto his Father. So Jesus did not burn in hell, but he did go to Sheol, the place of the unseen, the place of the dead, the abode of the dead. Whether you died as a saved person or an unsaved person, in the Old Testament period before Jesus came, everybody, saved and unsaved, went to the place of the uh, abode of the dead. They went to Sheol. And we get a sense, a, a snapshot of that place. In this very gospel in Luke chapter 16, where you read of a rich man and a pauper by the name of Lazarus. And the rich man dies, we read in that chapter, and he went uh, to hell. And the the poor beggar, the poor man dies, and he goes into Abraham's bosom. He goes into paradise. Now, they're both in Sheol. They're both in this, this room, if you like, in this holding place where all of the dead dwell before the Lord Jesus comes along. And on one side of that place, you have those who are suffering as a consequence of sin, those who are in hell. And on the other side of that place, you have those who are in paradise, those who are saved. You think about the prophets of old. You think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And you think about Aaron, that great high priest of the Old Testament. You think about King David. You think about Samson. You think about Solomon. You think about all the prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all those people are in paradise. And that gospel of Luke chapter 16 tells us that between these two, there was a great gulf fixed. There was a, a, a chasm so that one could look across to the other. That those suffering could look over to those who were in bliss, in paradise. And they could communicate with each other. We find that in that gospel that the rich man, having died, appealed to Abraham that he would send this pauper Lazarus who had been saved, that he would send him across that gulf and bring him a drop of water to ease his pain and the torment. And Abraham's very clear that you could not cross from one side to the other, that you were in a fixed location. So when Jesus died this day, He told this thief, today thou shalt be with me, not in heaven, but in paradise, in Sheol, in the resting place of all the souls who pass from this scene of time into an unseen realm. Now remember, after his resurrection, the Lord Jesus appeared in the garden unto Mary. You'll remember that. 
And I want you to listen to what he says. We'll look at this passage in a little bit in more detail. But he says to her in John chapter 20, having been raised from the dead, he says to her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to your brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. You see, he hadn't been to heaven at that point. He hadn't come before his father at that point. He had been in another place. He had been in paradise. You see, again, everybody before the coming of Christ, no one entered heaven proper. Jesus, to allow that, you know, to Jesus to, uh, in his death, in dealing with that, he did two things. Number one, he condemned the lost in that place. And number two, he released the saved in that place. Let me explain this to you. Go with me, if you have your Bible, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter in chapter 3. In verse 18, you have the gospel in a nutshell. But I'm interested in verses in verse 19 and verse 20. Verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or brought alive by the Spirit. By which notice also he went. Where did he go? And he preached unto the spirits in prison. That Sheol which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Now, Peter tells us here that at some point Jesus appeared before the spirits who were in prison, and he preaches unto them. What did he preach? I'll tell you what he preached. He likely preached for Christ has also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That's likely what he preached. But I want you to understand, he wasn't preaching for conversions. You see, you come to a meeting like this, and I make no apology for this. We're preaching for conversion. We want you to be saved. God wants you to be saved. Jesus died so that you could be saved. But the Lord Jesus didn't go into this realm of the dead and preach to those spirits in prison in the hope that they would be saved. It was too late for that for them. No, the tormented souls of the dead that were concealed in this place called Sheol, well, they couldn't cross from hell to paradise. Uh, you know, this puts the, puts the bed, the idea of purgatory. You could go to some place tonight and a fellow would tell you that when you die, you'll go to a place called purgatory. And there you'll be purged of your sins by means of torment. You will burn for hundreds if not thousands of years until all of your sin has been cleansed. And when that is done, you can go into heaven. Let me tell you something. There is nothing in the word of God about that. And then there are other fellows who will come along and they'll say, well, God will give you a second chance. Even if you get it wrong, don't you worry about it. God will give you a second chance. You don't have to make your list. Look, God understands. When you die, he's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of the second chance. Let me tell you something. This passage tells us the exact opposite. There was no second chance for the lost souls in hell. Verse 20. 
Rather, Jesus comes and he proclaims the gospel before them. And in so doing, he's heralding himself as the great and eternal victor. And he told those demons and those lost souls caught up in hell that they were doomed and damned, that he had paid the price of sin, that he had come for his own children, and he was leaving with them whilst abandoning the others to perish in that place. I want you to get this tonight. And I say this respectfully. I take no pleasure in it. I say it with solemnity. That if you are to die tonight without Christ, your soul will be lost forever. And there is no hope for you. Now I say that to you as your friend. I don't take pleasure in that. God doesn't take pleasure in that. He says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure in the death of the sinner. That's why he sent Jesus to come and save us. But if you continue as you are. If you continue without encountering Christ. If you continue without repenting of your sin. And trusting in your only hope of heaven. Understand that you will be launched into eternity. And God himself shall abandon you. And you will be forsaken by God forever in a place called hell. Christ came to save you from that end. So he suffered for sins and for sinners. The just, the righteous one. For the unjust, for the unrighteous one. The Holy One gave himself for the unholy ones. He laid down his life for you that he might bring us or reconcile us unto God. And then what he, what he does is, having done that, he surrenders his spirit into Sheol and he declares his victory over Satan and over, his, over Satan's hosts. And he seals the damnation of the lost and he empties down that place of those who are saved. That's the second thing he does. He releases his own people from that place. You see, there were lots of people there. There were people in the hell section. But there were lots of people in the paradise section also. And he had come for them. We know from Luke 16 that Abraham was there. We know Isaac was there. We know Jacob was there. We know that Noah would have been there. That Moses and Joshua and Elisha and David and Solomon and Isaiah and, uh, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and uh, Daniel and Hosea and Amos and all of the prophets, all of them would have been there. Effectively, what this was, was a holding place. A waiting room, if you like. What were they waiting for? They were waiting for Jesus to come. You see, here's what I want you to know. That nobody ever got into heaven without Jesus coming and dying for them. And those who were in the Old Testament looking forward to the coming of Christ could not go directly into heaven until the price of sin was paid for. And you and I who are now looking back upon the cross cannot go into heaven ourselves unless we accept that sin was paid for. 
It was a holding place. It was a stopgap until sin could be covered. And then Jesus, having opened heaven for us, escorted the redeemed dead out of Sheol into heaven itself. You say, well, where do you get that in the word of God? Well, the book of Ephesians touches on it. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8, and I want you to listen to what uh, Paul writes in this epistle concerning this moment in time. In Ephesians 4 and verse 8 it says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, speaking of Christ, that he led captivity, those who were in, uh, those who were being held, he led captivity captive. He took hold of them, and he gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Do you see what happened here? Jesus commanded his spirit unto his father, and he descended into the lower parts of the earth. He went to Sheol. He preached condemnation of those who were already lost, of those devils and demons that were held from the days of Noah. He proclaimed the salvation of those who had trusted in him in the past, looking forward to his coming. And he said, we're going out of here, and we're heading toward heaven. He claimed his own. You know, I've got a friend, believe it or not. I have a friend. He's a bit of a rough and ready fellow. And uh, one time he had a, a video camera that he bought. I think it was in Curry's or Dixon's or one of these places. He bought this video camera and it wasn't working quite right. And he took it back under its warranty. They said they would repair it. And they gave him a call one day and they said, come on in, you can pick up your camera. So he went into the shop and the assistant came out and brought him his camera. So here's your camera. We fixed the problem. And so he held the camera up and he looked around and it could do everything the camera was supposed to do. And he said, well, thank you very much. And the assistant says, well, that'll be so much in terms of money. That'll cost so much, too many pounds. And he says, well, I thought this was under guarantee. And the assistant says, yes, it is under guarantee. But the way this works is uh, we fix it and then uh, you pay us, and then we pay the people who fixed it, and then, uh, and then you know, we will re- reimburse you. What a palaver. My friend, he wasn't having it. <laughs> and he held up the camera and he said, you see this? And the man says, yes. He says, this is mine. I've paid for it. He says, you see that? Pointing at the door. The guy said, yes. He says, that's the door. He says, and I'm going through it with my camera. Goodbye. And he left with his camera in hand. Friends, that's effectively what the Lord Jesus did. He came into this place, Sheol, and he says to the devil and his demons, to the, to the devil and demons that were gathered there, to the damned who were gathered there, he puts his arm, his great arm around the redeemed, and he says, you see these people, these are mine. I've paid for them. You see that? That's the exit door. We're going. And you're being left behind to perish. Oh, Jesus will do that, you know. And then he returns the third day after his crucifixion unto his Father and delivers the redeemed to his keeping in heaven. Now I want you to think 
how his spirit was restored. And we're almost done tonight. And I want to go back to those words that were written in John's gospel in chapter 10, verse 17, where the Lord says, Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. Now, having spent three days in paradise, condemning the demonic and the damned, consoling and comforting the saints, the Spirit of Jesus left that place to resume residence in his body once again. I love this. You see, the psalmist said, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one, listen to what he says, to see corruption. Now, under the Jewish ideology, the thought was that the body did not begin to corrupt, did not begin to decay until four days after death. That was the understanding in the Jewish mind. So a Jewish person reading that psalm concerning the Messiah that was yet to come would have understood that the Holy One would not see corruption, that he would not in any sense be buried for after four days. You remember that when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, the Bible says he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. And this was the thing that alarmed Lazarus' sister Martha. As far as she was concerned, Jesus was far too late to help in this situation, because not because the man was dead, but because he had been dead for four days already. Listen to what Martha says. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead four days. So in Jewish ideology, the fourth day is the day of corruption. When the body begins to show elements of decay. So the psalmist tells us that the body of the Christ to come would not see corruption. That is, it would remain in the grave no longer than three days. And we know that's exactly what happened on the third day the Lord Jesus had his, had his spirit reunited with his body and he arose from the dead you see his spirit initially went to Sheol but in his glorified body he returned to heaven listen to what John says, and we come back to that passage I referenced earlier in John's Gospel in chapter 20. And I want to read to you from verse 11 down to verse 17. This is the morning of the resurrection, it says, But Mary stood without the sepulchre, outside the grave, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus, notice past tense, had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus, perhaps because her eyes were blinded by tears, perhaps because... He was in a glorified form. Jesus saith unto her, 
woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if they have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see, friends, Mary and his disciples saw him in his glorified form when he departed for heaven, still bearing in his own person the scars of crucifixion. He has been in that form he, uh, ever since. He's in that form now. When he comes back again and you see him, you will see that his hands and his feet yet remain pierced in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. We find that Christ is victorious over sin and over death and over hell. And someday we will see this same Jesus come again, the one who arose from the grave all those years ago and led the saints of old into heaven and offers every sinner on earth alive today the opportunity to put their trust in him and and indeed find heaven as their eternal home. Now let me say this to you as we close. The very last thing that Jesus said on the cross as he gave up his ghost was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You know, as we follow Jesus' story through the Gospels, a lot is said about hands. Have you ever noticed these references to hands or these thought of hands? It was men's hands that were put upon him as he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the hands of false witnesses who were raised to swear against him as they sought his condemnation in a kangaroo court. It was the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, that indeed voted him guilty by the raising of their hands. The soldiers' hands held the whips that scourged him and pressed the crown of thorns upon his royal head. Matthew says they smote him with the palms of their hands and buffeted him, saying, Prophesy unto us, thy Christ, who is he that smote thee? Their hands laid him before Pilate, who didn't know that Christ's blood would leave an indelible mark upon his hands, even as he washed his innocent blood supposedly from them. And the mob used their hands to plead for Barabbas and to cry out. They no doubt clenched their fists as they cried, Crucify him! Crucify him! And then hands dragged him up to Golgotha's hill, and human hands nailed him to the cross. Their hands that were used to lift his cross into the air. And their hands through the dice that gambled for his cloak. Jesus had been at the mercy of human hands. 
and he found there was no mercy. But as he prays his final prayer, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Friends, can I say that things change when you put them in God's hands. When Satan thought that Christ's death would be his defeat, he discovered that rather his death would end in victory. When Satan thought that he would bring him to shame, rather his death would end to his glory. When Satan thought that he could bring him down, rather the cross and his crucifixion lifted him up and ultimately gave him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, including your knee. Oh, you say, I don't think so. I'm telling you, I'll have the word of God for it. Your knee will bow. And you would admit that Christ is Lord and that to the glory of God the Father. You say, I don't believe it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. That's what's going to happen. Things change, friends, when you put them in God's hands. And lives change. When you put your life in God's hands. And your eternal destiny changes. When you put your soul to the keeping of God's hands. Listen, human hands may hurt me. And maybe you're here tonight and you've been hurt by human hands. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody in the church. Maybe you've been hurt by Christian parents growing up. Maybe you've been hurt by someone who's a neighbor who said they were. You say, those people hurt me. Human hands hurt. Human hands may mistreat me. Man's hand may wave me aside. Man's hands may set a cruel trap for me. A sleight of hand may trick me. A deceitful hand may take something precious from me. But God's hands, God's hands will always pick me up. Those nail-pierced hands have the power to save me. God's hands will hold me and keep me for all eternity. Tonight, you who are gathered here, and especially you if you're still in your sin. I want to ask you to surrender your soul to God's hands. To come to the cross and say, if Jesus would die for me, if he would do that for me, then I will surrender my soul to him. If he would give up his life, dismiss his spirit, if he would breathe his last for me, if he would give his life for me, I will give my life for him. Will you do that tonight? Will you make this night the night of your decision? Will you surrender your soul to Jesus? His last words. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. May I encourage you tonight to commit your soul to those same hands. You know, many generations before the Lord Jesus came along, the great king of Israel, King David, had a desperate choice to make. I'm not going to get into the details. But he says this, I'm in a great strait. 
He says, I'm in a great fix. I'm in a hard place. And then he says this. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great. Then let me not fall into the hand of man. Tonight you may be trusting in a man. You might say that my minister says something different. You might say, well, my professor at university tells me I have nothing to worry about. You might say, well, David Attenborough says we're all descended from apes. You might say, well, you know, other people think differently. Listen, let us fall now into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great. And let us not fall into the hands of man. Do not, my friend, tonight make the dreadful mistake of trusting what men say over what God has said. Give your heart to the Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for all that we have heard tonight in song and from the scriptures. We see our Savior there upon Calvary's cross. I thirst, he cries. The soldier holds the vinegar to his lips. It is finished, he shouts, and no sooner does he say it. And he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he's gone. Gone to condemn the lost. Gone to comfort the saved. Gone to leave the lost in their place of perishing. And to lay hold and claim the saved for heaven. Lord, there may be someone in this hall tonight whose soul is perishing. Someone tonight who could be here and if they were to die right now, they couldn't say with any degree of assurance where they would go. Help them to see tonight that without Christ, they're without hope. But in Christ, they're in the safest pair of hands that heaven has to offer. Lord, help them tonight to surrender their soul unto him who is able to save to the uttermost. Bless us, I pray, as we close in song this evening. May thy spirit continue to deal with the hearts of men. In Jesus' name, amen.